In 2014, New York City's first Bitcoin ATM was installed at an East Village bubble tea shop. This marked a new era in financial fraud. As the landscape of fraud changed, we saw so much was going to the dark web and we saw Bitcoin machines popping up around the city. That's retired Deputy Inspector Christopher Flanagan, who recently left the job. Before he retired, he was in charge of NYPD's Financial Crimes Task Force. The Financial Crimes Task Force investigates crimes like identity theft and bank fraud. About seven years ago, Flanagan saw an uptick in crimes brought on by the handshake between two technologies, Bitcoin and the dark web. Suddenly, scams that have been taking place locally are crossing state and international borders. Victims can be from Iowa or even like England, and then their cards or their bank accounts are being exploited by a criminal in New York, but maybe being used in New Jersey, and then tying all that together and trying to get a prosecution in one borough is sometimes a challenge for us. In the financial fraud and cybercrime world, I feel like the changes happen at a much more rapid pace, like crime that we see in the beginning of the year as a epidemic could be somewhat eliminated by the end of the year by like a technological response to that crime. And then criminals will find a new exploit and then that will be the hot topic. And trying to keep pace with what's coming next is difficult. I'm Detective Sergeant Wally Zions and this is Breaking the Case a podcast series written and produced by NYPD Studios and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. In this episode, we'll meet a detective who fights crime on the dark side of the internet. We'll also give you tips on how to keep your financial information safe. Coming up after the break. I could type in, let's say, cocaine. I could type in, you know, digital accounts of banks, or I could type in services, and you can get results of what you're searching for. That's Detective Anthony Napoli, NYPD's dark web specialist on the Financial Crimes Task Force. He says that just like retailers in real life, dark web sellers take pride in the quality of their services. These vendors want your money. These vendors want you to buy their product. They want you to buy their service. So these targets and these vendors have ratings, they have negative reviews, they have positive reviews. They will actually you know, promote themselves. You know, I did such and such, or I was this vendor on a different market. Check out my reviews, I'm a five-star service. It's all about reputation. And these guys, they'll sell anything. They want you to buy heroin, laced with fentanyl from them. They want you to buy child porn through them. So it's a, it's a big marketplace based on reputation and you know, ha- keeping your customers happy. Before we talk about crime on the dark web, it's important to understand its history. About 25 years ago, the United States Navy developed an encrypted cyber network for the transmission of classified information called TOR, T-O-R, which is an acronym for the Onion Router. TOR developed into an open source project promoted by human rights organizations and other nonprofits. Its creators believed Internet users should have private access to an uncensored web. 
Today, the dark web is also used by governments, whistleblowers, and citizens living in countries that suppress free speech. In fact, most news publications and social media sites have Tor websites. To get a sense of the scale, imagine that the web is a huge iceberg. The top of the iceberg that's protruding from the water is anything that we could all get on on our phones, on our tablets, on our computers. Detective Napoli is talking about the public internet, also known as the clear web. All pages indexed on search engines and accessed by common web browsers make up just 10% of the web. The majority of the iceberg is underneath the water, and that's where we have websites that are protected by firewalls and password logins. This network is known as the deep web. Whenever you log into a website to look at your private banking or medical records, you're on the deep web. Then below the very bottom of the iceberg is the dark web, and that's based off of the Tor browser. It's a dot .onion site. Most, not all, um, dark web sites have a dot .onion instead of a dot .com as a URL. The majority of the transactions there involve the illegal exchange of goods and services. We're talking about criminals who don't have to leave their couch to rake hundreds of thousands, and for the biggest vendors, millions of dollars. Every year, the number increases. According to Chainalysis, a firm that compiles data about cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin transactions on the dark web have increased by about 300% in the past three years. Total sales received by darknet entities in 2020 hit a record high of $1.7 billion. For law enforcement to catch the bad guys in an environment like this, they need to stay one step ahead of technology. We'll find out how they do it after the break. Detective Napoli wasn't always a dark web undercover. I was actually a Bronx cop and a Bronx detective in the 4-7 precinct for close to 12 years. And then when I wanted to change it up, and went to the Financial Crime Task Force, I actually got a case that involved large-scale uh, fraud involving actresses and models with Bitcoin. $20 million in financial fraud using cryptocurrency. And at the time, I heard of it, but I had no idea what the dark web was. I started to reach out to people who knew this realm and who knew these type of cases. Within the Financial Crimes Task Force, Napoli has a special function. I'm also a task force officer assigned to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Dark Web and Virtual Currency Group. I've been assigned to them for the last uh, almost three years, and uh, all my cases revolve around the darknet, cryptocurrency, and illicit activity dealing with both. In the summer of 2019, Detective Napoli was browsing on the dark web when something caught his attention. I usually do um, investigative sweeps um, using my established monikers on forums and multiple dark web marketplaces. I saw this, this vendor, he seemed interesting. The vendor's name was Alpha. The individual was selling cloned credit cards from several different major credit card companies based here in the United States. Napoli wanted more information about the vendor. I started to communicate with him over the, these dark web marketplaces, made a couple of purchases. Alpha was buying credit card data and printing forged credit cards. So what this individual was doing was he was buying, as we call them, dumps of credit card companies and the corresponding account numbers. He would then download it into a program. It would be organized. He would then have at his workstation a credit card reader writer and a credit card embosser. And he would just then, as simple as 
you and I are talking now, he would just clone these credit cards and then print them out and then mail them. According to the credit card processing company, Shift, in 2018, credit card fraud cost financial companies $24 billion worldwide. Ultimately, the creditors took the loss. But if your card or banking information has ever been compromised, you know that the experience can create havoc with your finances, especially if your accounts are frozen or overdrawn during the investigation. Every vendor and every target's a little different. Some like to talk, some don't. While they were communicating through encrypted browsers, some information emerged. With Alpha, we were able to establish time zone. Where were they? What were their interests? The Dark Web Task Force at Homeland Security includes the U.S. Postal Inspector Service, an essential partner for catching people committing mail fraud. Napoli started seeing patterns in Alpha's activities. He placed some orders with Alpha, and his team figured out where the packages were being mailed from. And from there, we were able to set up surveillance um, while we were placing our undercover buys into this individual. In a stranger-than-fiction twist, detectives discovered that Alpha was shipping from a post office that was literally down the block from the Financial Crimes Task Force. Talk about hitting close to home. Surveillance quickly went from virtual to in real life. After this individual conducted his, his drop, um, myself, two agents, a pulse inspector began following. Another uh, member of our group went to take a look at what he dropped off to be mailed out. Uh, we were able to recover my undercover buy that I purchased, along with, I think it was about 20 plus other mailings that this guy was doing at the time. So we were able to not only say, yep, this is him, this is our target, Let's we're going to follow him and continue doing surveillance, but we were also able to identify other people that he was mailing these forged credit cards and fake checks to. We'll be back after the break. While undercovers were tracking Alpha's every move, more details came out about his digital footprint. The biggest break was actually following the cryptocurrency. The blockchain system creates a public digital ledger of every transaction. Depending on the Bitcoin issuer, some Bitcoin transactions are completely anonymous, but there are some that record verification data from the account holder, which can be traced back to the person in real life. When the task force made buys from Alpha, they analyzed the blockchain ledger and found a digital trail for Alpha that cracked the investigation wide open. Once we were able to get a name and a date of birth, uh, we were able to use our resources and tools here to uh, identify um, several accounts that this individual was operating uh, for cryptocurrency. And then from there, we were actually able to de-anonymize not only the target, but his accounts and his Bitcoin wallet addresses. And we were actually able to see our undercover funds going directly into the suspect's accounts. It took less than a month for Detective Napoli and his team to take the investigation offline. By the end of the year, the task force made their move. We work with um, you know, the Department of Justice, um, Southern District of New York, very closely. Once we felt like it was beyond a reasonable doubt that this was our target, that's when we decided to you know, apply for the arrest warrant and the search warrant and then arrest the individual. It turned out that Alpha was just a regular 20-something-year-old guy. He could have been doing a million other things, but he decided to 
harnesses skills and resources to commit these kind of crimes on the dark web. And he's pretty much said, you know, he lost his job. He started researching this. He did it a couple of times, realized that the money was good. And when you're bringing in 30 grand a month, pretty much doing zero to little legwork, the money is too good to walk away from. Alpha had one associate. They both had no prior record or history of violence. Last year, they both pleaded guilty to federal misdemeanor charges and are awaiting sentencing by the United States District Court of the Southern District of New York. Detective Napoli is already on the next case, and that means learning new technologies. Crimes committed on the dark web are sometimes called victimless because the losses are covered by banks. But Detective Napoli reminds us the dark web spawns violent crime too. That's why like units like ours are, are highly specialized and tooled just to, to combat these type of crimes. It's human smuggling, it's drug trafficking, it's arms dealing, it's murder. It, this is all just evolving now as technology evolves, these criminals evolve and we have to be able to evolve with it. As long as we're on the grid, each and every one of us are susceptible to financial fraud. Unfortunately, everyone's information's out there, mine, yours. There are ways you can safeguard your accounts. Again, here's retired Deputy Inspector Christopher Flanagan, formerly of the Financial Crimes Task Force. To me, the most important thing is to keep a close eye on your credit and on your accounts themselves. I have like alerts set up on all my bank accounts and financial accounts that I get an update whenever a transaction occurs and like a daily update because Sometimes criminals will put like a small uh, amount of fraud to see, see if it's working and then go back the next day and do a, a large transfer. If you don't catch fraud occurring on one of your accounts for months, it's possible the banks would not reimburse you for that money. They feel you have an obligation to inform the banks of unauthorized transactions. So knowing what's going on with all your accounts is critical. Um, one place where that type of scenario occurs uh, home equity line of credit. You know, people don't use those accounts very often. They're not keeping an eye on them every day. And that's where criminals can um, get access to a large amount of money and you might not notice for several months. And if you're not doing this already, by federal law, you're entitled to one free credit report a year from each credit reporting company. You wouldn't leave your wallet unattended. So do what you can to keep an eye on your financial accounts. Breaking the Case is written and produced by NYPD Studios and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. Subscribe to Breaking the Case for a new episode every other Thursday in Season 2. If you like our show, please consider giving it five stars and recommending it to your friends. And follow the NYPD on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm Detective Sergeant Wally Zions. Thanks for listening. Until next time... Be safe.